folks, this is Abel James, and welcome to the Fat-Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. Today's special guest is John Romanello, better known as Roman, and he's a fitness trainer, a chubby kid who turned into a fitness model, and he's also the author of a book that's about to be a bestseller, I just have a feeling, so stay tuned for that. We're going to be talking about it on the show. Before we get to it, though, I wanted to let you know, if you go to fatburningman.com right now and put your best email address in the opt-in box I'll shoot you a free ebook called The Primal Rock Stars with uh, exclusive interviews with Mark Sisson, Dave Asprey, Rob Wolf, Dean Dwyer, and a few other folks. So all you have to do is go to fatburningman.com, put your best email address in the opt-in box, and I'll shoot it right over to you. All right, so on to the show. Roman stopped by the Fat Burning Man show in advance of filming on Dr. Oz, The Colbert Show, and a few other stops in the mainstream media. It's a fun show, but let's say it this way. It's a little bit more Tucker Max than it is Paul Jaminet. So I need to warn you guys. I already know that this show is going to be controversial. Uh, If you're offended by colorful language, what a male at 23 years old has to say about sex or women in general, or a few other topics that might raise some eyebrows, then you might want to skip to the next show. Uh, That said, Roman is brutally honest about his transformation from a chubby kid to a model and unapologetically shares uh, his physical, mental, and emotional journey with all of us. It takes a great deal of courage and gumption to do that, so there's a lot to learn from the show if you pay attention. I just want to give fair warning. There is colorful language. Don't worry. It's nothing worse than what you'd (laughs) be used to hearing if you listen to Rob Wolf, Uh, and it's also bleeped out, so uh, some of the topics are also racy. That said, it's, it's a great show. There's a lot to learn from it. And what we talk about is going from a chubby kid to fitness, fitness model ripped and how you can do that yourself, what, what tips he has for getting a, a kind of normal body or even a little bit chubby body to something that is fitness model skinny. Someone who's, as someone who's been on the cover of magazines, he can tell you exactly how to do that. We also talk about some of the head trash and societal pressure that comes along with body transformation that no one talks about. Uh, And we also talk about why Tucker Max and Arnold Schwarzenegger say that Roman's book doesn't suck. All right, let's go hang out with Roman. All right, folks, I'm Abel James, and this is John Romanello, better known as Roman. He runs Roman Fitness Systems with a tongue-in-cheek approach to fitness, equal parts narcissism and self-loathing. Roman writes with passion and humor, showcasing his belief that training doesn't need to be serious, stern, science-laden monotony. But most importantly, Roman is an absolute nerd, and it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Roman. What's cooking, Thank you very much. I appreciate that. (laughs) So we were just talking before this call. Unfortunately, on his birthday, he loaded it up with all sorts of work because his book is coming out in just, what is it, eight days? Book comes out eight days from today. Holy smokes. You must be totally stoked about that. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I'm like, I, uh, did we send you a copy yet, by the way? We'll I don't have, have a copy yet. So I'm really, that's a plug. So yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really excited. I have like my whole, I have April 16th planned. I'm like going to go to Barnes & Noble and look for my book. And like, that'll be, that'll be a huge day for me. That's so crazy. yeah, it's, it's great now. Uh, up until then, we are just um, in launch mode, and you know how that goes. So, uh, I am today. I'm doing a lot of interviews, such as this, to sort of like get the message out, and then creating a lot of content for the remainder of this week. That'll yeah. go on all sorts of different sites, from you know my own site to to cool sites that like big sites that I won't mention yet, but you guys yeah. will you you know them, and 
then the following week is all like TV media. So it's like a wow. two week blitzkrieg of just talking about yourself, which is, <laughs> it can be, it can be tiring, but I'm really excited. So yeah, yeah, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about yourself, Roman? So I, I understand, uh, you were a chubby kid once and look yes. at you now. Yeah. So what happened along the way? I mean, that's not fun. Being yeah. chubby is not, is not as much fun as being ripped. Um, I didn't know that of course. So yeah, I was like sort of chubby my whole life from the time I was, I mean, like, I, I think I remember being a little chubby and like as, as young as eight. And then, um, there were times when I was not as chubby. I started playing sports in high school and I was never a lean person. You, yeah. I, I, I was always what you would call a, a thick kid, mm -hmm. like very stocky, obviously you had some muscle, but you know, husky, I guess. And then when I wrestled and played football, I was leaner because, you know, just training all the time. Right. Um, but never, never like lean. And then I graduated high school, obviously stopped playing sports and, uh, you know, my fat kid genetics took over and then it was like my, I guess my freshman year at uh at cornell and i was uh just uh, pushing like a 35 waist yeah and uh so just one day i was like this is not this is not working mm -hmm. and i just felt like the person in the mirror didn't match who i was internally you know yeah. and i was like i want those I, I want some congruence there so being a a bookish guy a nerd as you said my first instinct is always books yeah and so i got a bunch of books on training and nutrition some good some awful and you know like what happens like all new trainees you get all this information in your head and you don't know what to do but you just do something and thankfully it worked and i uh you know i dropped like 30 pounds in a couple of months and gained some muscle and then yeah. you know i was like for the first time that it was summer of 2002 and it was the first time i had ever been lean and yeah. so i was like shredded that summer and it was the best summer of my life and <laughs> and uh for in a lot of ways in other ways it was like the most summer of my life like ridiculous i um it was weird because like i i went through this dramatic body transformation and so obviously the the way people perceive you is very different this is very important uh so i talk a lot about sex in my book and um the difference between summer 2011 and summer 2000 or i'm sorry summer 2001 and summer 2002 is like crazy uh i'm shredded for the first time i'm like I'm never wearing – I think I wore a shirt for like eight cumulative minutes that summer. Uh, and I I worked at a day camp actually. I worked at, a, oh, at really? a very a day camp for very affluent kids like on the north shore of Long Island. A lot of celebrities, kids there. Yeah. While I was at that camp, LL Cool J's daughter punched me in the nuts in like 2003. <laughs> so um, – but it was great. And so like camp your, – your job description at camp is like hang out in the sun, yeah. play sports with like awesome little kids who worship you. And hit on hot lifeguards. And that's the job. And it's a great job. It's the best one I've ever had. So I'm working at this day camp and there's like, you know, like 600 employees. Nah, prob probably not. Probably like 400. And like 200 are women. And of those, like 150 are hot. Yeah. And so that summer, a lot of girls were interested in me. But I was so unaccustomed to interacting with women in that way that I literally hooked up with zero girls all summer. It was mm -hmm. like. And, and so that's a, that's a story I like to, to talk about because the, in the book, we talk a lot about change and how change affects you and, and how you can't go through a physical transformation without it changing you emotionally so and mentally. Yeah. And so it just, it took a little while for me to catch up 
with who I was, you know, like mm-hmm. now I look this certain way, but I'm still this like this fat kid internally who is like not really sure how to talk to women and and not accustomed to the attention and certainly enjoying it, yeah. but not really sure what to do with it. And so it was a it was a great summer because I felt good about myself for the first time ever. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was still a very confusing time for me. And and I think that it certainly uh, spurred a lot of growth. Yeah. So how do you navigate that? And then it happens to so many people, you know, they lose 20 pounds, 100 pounds, 200 pounds. And all of a sudden, that person who they are on the other end, they barely recognize them in the mirror. And and it's just such a bizarre experience. How do you make that mental shift? You know, it was for me, the the way that I it happened, I, I just really went all in. And mm-hmm. um, so I went from like being you know, unfit to getting fit. And then the only way I could reconcile like my new lifestyle was to make fitness like my thing. It was the thing about me that people knew. He's like, Oh no, no, no. Like John Roman doesn't drink. Like, no, no, no. He's not gonna eat pizza. I was like hardcore militant fitness Nazi for like the first year, because that was the only way that I could adapt. I had to go all in. I wasn't really aware of like how to navigate a middle ground. And it took a long time to learn. And then I got involved in bodybuilding and, you know, you're, you just, that is really perpetuating that, that very militant life, that, right. that draconian discipline that is necessary for that sort of endeavor. And, you know, so it was from the time I was like 20 till I was 25, I was super strict all the time. I think I was like 7% body fat year round, probably less sometimes. And, um, yeah, it just it was a really really formative. So like the only way that I could navigate my my life outside the gym was to make my gym life a part of it. And so yeah. uh the natural instinct when I got out of school was to start working at a gym. I had I had trained clients when I was in college and then when I was 22 I was like, I'm going to take a couple of years off before I go to grad school because that sounded like a good idea. And I, uh, and so I started training and I, and over the next three to five years, I built like a, a really, really successful training business. And so then, you know, training was this defining characteristic about me, but it was also my business. And, yeah. and, and in a way it was, is a big part of my life. And, um, I have since learned, um, in moderation in some, some regards I can, I have, I can I can now indulge in in a bourbon from you know time to time and I, I don't like you know I'm not shredded year round anymore but I'm also a bit older yeah and and it's really just um it's it's been a journey in terms of like coming to terms with the new body and making everything work in your new lifestyle and that journey is is sort of the same type of journey that you go on when you go through any big change you know you go through all these steps in the book we talk about the hero's journey. And if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell, who yeah. you know, and, and the monomyth, it's this 17 stage cycle that everyone goes through, and and it's it's in every story. There's always this like young hero who like has to overcome these odds, and and there's always a mentor, and there's always this pattern, and it's it's very very prevalent in storytelling and books and movies, whether it's you know Harry Potter or Luke Skywalker or or Daniel Sun, and whether it's it's you know Dumbledore, Merlin, or Mr Miyagi, like all of these. <laughs> All of these characters are real. Yeah. And I believe, it is my personal belief, um, that the hero's journey is pretty much the perfect lens to view any change in your life through. And so like, I, I, looking back at my fitness journey and the way that it changed me emotionally, I can plot all the different points 
on the hero's journey, when, you know, all the way from the ordinary world, the call to adventure, to refusing the call, meeting with the mentor, the ordeal, all the way up to apotheosis and, and the ultimate boon and master of two worlds. And these are, so the master of two worlds is the final stage of the hero's journey when you can finally rec reconcile who you were with who you've become. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of where I am now. And the ultimate boon, of course, is it changes depending on the story. In Star Wars, it's, you know, Luke bringing balance to the Force and sort of like being able to, um, you know, to start a new Jedi Academy and, and teach Padawans. For me, it was um, being able to bring balance into my own life and to use the fitness information that I'd had mm -hmm. to start a new journey, which is that of a mentor and like, you know, disseminating this information. Yeah. And so, so it, thank you. Appreciate that. So uh, as a mentor, let's, let's kind of go through your personal journey. What would you say uh, to your young chubby self, uh, practically speaking, about fitness uh, or about the mental game or anything else like that? And then we can kind of progress sure. from there. I'm, I, I would really tell him to start earlier. You know, I, I would sort of try and explain all of the ways that your life is different and in many regards better. Mm -hmm. But the way that I would approach him, because that, that chubby, nerdy kid at 17 was very interested in swords and sorcery and Dungeons and Dragons and all those things, I would sort of lay out sort of examples that were cogent and I would tell him flat out like that this is a journey that you need to take yeah. in order to become a better person, the, a better version of yourself and sort of harp on the fact that all of the benefits of being ripped are awesome, you know, like – it's great to be able to dance at a nightclub with your shirt off and like have girls all over you. But the, the, those things pale in comparison to the benefits that accompany change. Mm -hmm. When you go through a change, the skills that you learn are portable. You can, whatever, when, when you go through this dramatic physical transformation, you gain this confidence and this belief in yourself that you can change in other ways. Right. And it was what gave me the confidence to not go to grad school and devote myself to starting this business. And, and eventually, you know, that led here to this book. And it's what gave me the confidence to get out of bad relationships and into good ones. And so using the hero's journey as a, as a lens for viewing change and also as a thesis for problem solving yeah. has been very helpful to me because it's, I, I would explain to that young man that like, this is the way that your life gets better. This is the yep. journey that we all take. So practically speaking, what did you do? What was that? You talked about a change that you made uh, in nutrition or training. Yeah, what was I the mean, thing here's the thing. I, it's, it just, it wasn't that hard. Yeah. Like I just never did it because I didn't learn about it until I hit bottom. You know what, what alcoholics call a moment of clarity. It was legitimately not that difficult. And I would say that to anyone. For most people who don't have any sort of metabolic disorder or anything – Getting lean is not easy, but it is simple. Yeah. You know? And mm -hmm. for me, I mean, I listen again, I went super strict. I went to eating like six meals. I was definitely under eating. I was probably eating about like 17 or 1800 calories a day. But like my every meal was either protein and carb or protein and fat. Yeah. And I had six small meals timed exactly three hours apart and I never ate anything bad. I stopped drinking soda. I just I drank water and green tea. And ate grilled chicken and broccoli and brown rice and protein powder and yogurt and cottage cheese. And I did that for three months and I got absolutely shredded. And then I just kept doing it for, <laughs> for five years because it was working. Yeah. And, you know, that was it. And so for me, and like I, I used – at the time, I used my old program from like high school football, which was, you know, not great. And I eventually started learning more, you know. I just yeah. like had this thing and then – I just went from there. Yeah. 
So knowing what you know now, <laughs> what would you still do the same thing? What would you do differently? I would, I think that it, that, um, that super strict period that people go through mm -hmm. is important. I think that passing through that trial by fire is necessary to achieve balance. I think that you need, you know, it's, it's, it's what Joseph Campbell calls the ordeal. Mm -hmm. It's this great struggle, right? You have to not only um, undertake the transformation itself, but you need to go through the hardest part. And I think that it certainly helped um, me appreciate everything. You know, like anyone who has gone without sex for like a year can tell you that they, they appreciate sex a lot more afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I learned a lot about myself, you know, by like never having anything other than chicken and broccoli and steak and potatoes. Um, I learned that I can subsist on very bland foods. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a very valuable skill. Um, it, it helps me diet now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I can, you know, now it's more difficult because I have this, a lifestyle that, that makes it a little bit more challenging and, you know, I'm engaged and my fiance and I like, like to go to dinner and have wine. But in that part where I'm dieting, um, and I need to get lean for a photo shoot or, or whatever else, yeah. I can look back and be like, well, I did it for five years. I could do it for five weeks. Sure. And, and so it's, it's, it was very helpful. So I, I think that when people go through that trial by fire, it teaches them a lot. And again, when you start eating cake or ice cream, you know, occasionally you like appreciate that you savor mm -hmm. it and, and, um, you know, you like, learn to have fun without drinking alcohol. But then on those occasions when you drink, you're like, wow, I can, this is, this is good. Like, and, and you know, you learn moderation. Yeah. I can do this. I just choose not to most of the time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but it's not, so, uh, it doesn't have to be that militant. Obviously you're not no. there right now. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, but you don't know that, right? The yeah. only thing you know, when you first go through a transformation is what worked mm -hmm. and then you test stuff and, I don't think it needs to be that militant. I think that if people stop eating garbage and replace that garbage with healthy food and train regularly, they're going to look pretty good. Yeah. You know, will they be <laughs> shredded? No. In order to get absolutely shredded, I believe that you do need to be pretty militant. You need to count yeah. calories and macros and you need to like focus on that for six to eight weeks mm -hmm. in order to get like dialed into a bodybuilding show. Everyone is militant. Every figure competitor counts calories, macros, weighs their food. Yep. For the highest level, that 10% that separates mere mortals from gods, then it's necessary. Yeah. And that's sort of where I was. I was competing. But you know what I tell my clients is like, no, just like here are some things to eat. Here are some things not to eat until you're full and then stop. Like, <laughs> you know, here's a portion size. You know, it's like veggies. This is meat. Yeah. But like the, the same thing that we teach. It's not necessary to be super dedicated. But every single one of my online coaching clients, months one through three, and it, it, some of them continue for that, but mm -hmm. every single one has to weigh their food and count calories and macros okay. because this is a, it's a really important skill set and it teaches you to learn to eyeball your foods, right? You know, like if you're not skilled at that and you look at a steak, you have no idea how much protein is in it, yep. you have no idea how much, like, how many calories and how much fat, what it might be doing to you and mm -hmm. doing for you. But if you start weighing it, then after three months of weighing steaks, I could look at a steak now and I know like to the ounce that that's a seven ounce steak, which has, you know, approximately like 62 grams of protein. Like I just know that that's just yeah. in here the right. way that I know that two plus two is four. Mm -hmm. And I think that like teaching those things is important because I, I'm very interested in teaching 
not people. I'm not telling, not interested in telling people what to eat, mm-hmm. but more interested in teaching them how to eat. And I do believe that for everyone, that that really strict period of one to five or six months is important. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move along your journey now. You're uh, completely ripped, and <laughs> mentally, you're not there yet. How, how would yeah. you coach yourself through that part of the process? God, I uh, I don't really. I think I would I would tell myself that what I what I tell my business coaching clients now which is just I lived my business coach I wrote a post for this on on my other website johnromanello.com where I talk about business and uh, I said that um every everything you need to learn about how to be an online uh, or how to how to be uh, a, a successful internet entrepreneur you could learn from a 10 second clip in family guy and it's this <laughs> clip where it's uh you know the setup is it this is like that time the emperor finally figured out the key to Star Wars dialogue. And he says something, 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 quote, something, 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 dark side, quote, something, something, complete. And when I looked at that, I was like, that's the key to everything. Just finish something. Literally finish anything and you can be successful online. You have to finish. No matter what else you're going to do in life, we all have to finish the product, the blog post, the, the, the podcast, whatever it is. You have to finish it. Yeah. And so what I, so the most important skill is taking action. And so what I would tell my younger self is that like whatever part of yourself you're not still happy with, literally just fix it. Just do anything, literally anything, and you will be better than doing nothing. And you know, like the only way you're going to learn to talk to girls is by reading books about how to talk to girls or just doing it. Yeah. And uh, you know, thankfully like I'm I'm relatively skilled in the fine art of conversation. Because I did not grow up shredded. I grew up a fat kid and so I had to develop a personality. Yeah. Which is like a lot of work. <laughs> Thankfully. Uh, but um, so like I, I was able to interact with women but I just like didn't know like when to perceive that a woman was interested in me. Yeah. Like how to like you know try and initiate some sort of intimate interaction. These things were you know like I had had girlfriends and I had had sex but like I wasn't used to women at bars just coming up to me because mm-hmm. I was you know shredded and, and a model. Or whatever it was. Um, so what I would tell my younger self is just, you know, take a couple months off, get your head right, read the following books. I would I would recommend like 10, 10 books for him. And uh, can we get the top three of those? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I don't actually know if this was published then. I don't know when it was published, but there's a great book called The Way of the Superior Man by David yeah. Data. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is is a life changer. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the time, the four-hour work week was not available, but I would recommend that for people who are like looking to like get their head right. And um, but so something else that was available that I think really helped. I mean, I. At that point, I was just starting to read Campbell, yeah. so the Hero with a Thousand Faces, like really, 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 really changed my life. Yeah. And uh, there's another great book for anyone who's interested in Campbell called The Writer's Journey: Mythic Structure for Writers by Christopher Vogler. And I like to recommend that book to people who are new to Campbell mm-hmm. because if you don't have a strong background in mythology. It's not even that Campbell can be a little bit dry. It's just that when he's trying to teach you something, he uses a lot of examples. Yeah. And if you don't know a lot of mythology, the examples will be lost on you. Whereas in Vogler's case, he uses movies that most people have seen, The Wizard of Oz and Pulp Fiction and Fight Club and all these things. So I just feel like the information is more accessible there. Mm-hmm. So I would have given those books to him and just been like, read these, 
understand that you're a good person. Understand that like even though you're you've got all this stuff to offer physically, that's not all you have to offer. Yeah. And like, you know, that's so it was it's weird. I mean, no one ever one of the things I, I wanted to talk about in the book, but it was sort of like couldn't really figure out a made a way, way to make it work. Um so I, you know, I, I'm I'm very open about the fact that like I've had a lot, a lot of psychoanalysis. I've been in therapy since I'm, I'm 18. My childhood was not the best, and so I've been you know really really fortunate to sort of um, learn the process of self analysis and and just becoming very self aware. And one of the conversations that I had with my therapist, like when I was in my early 20s, was that nobody ever talks about the problems of success. Hmm. or in particular, like the problems that come with being good looking. Sure. And so, you know, there's a great, um, a great talk. It was a, a commencement speech at the University of the Arts by Neil Gaiman, who is one of my favorite science fiction fantasy authors. And in that speech, he does talk about the problems of success. And those, those problems are real. I can tell you as someone who's had a lot of internet success, like, yeah. you know, like, you can't answer all those emails. And, and in, in that speech, Neil says that he realized that I'm just going to tear this tag out because I'm very itchy. <laughs> um, so it's a new shirt. I had a tag. I was itchy. No, but, I'm glad you did okay. that. It's a- <laughs> um, so in, in that speech, Neil says that he, there was a point when he realized that he answered emails as a profession and wrote as a hobby. Yeah. And so, you know, like the problems of success are real. Like, when you when you first start out in, in the internet world, you're like looking for all these opportunities. You know, you're trying to write for these different blogs and websites and try and get on these different podcasts and do interviews. And the problems of success are that once you get popular and once you have a lot to offer, like you have a day like I'm having today mm-hmm. where it's my birthday, it's gorgeous outside, and I'm going to be inside doing interviews from, from 12 o'clock until like 6 p.m. Yeah. And then I'm going to, you know, like, go out with my family and have dinner and then I'm going to be writing content until like two in the morning. Yeah. Now I'm very lucky to be in that situation, but it is worth considering. And one of the things that I've always thought about is I've been on both ends of the spectrum. I was unattractive and, and I was attractive at least mm-hmm. in, in the, the way that I got paid to be attractive on, right. on right. a magazine. Um, and there it's definitely better to be on this side. But there are problems that come with it. And, uh, you know, people always talk about the problems of being unattractive. People judge you. But people judge you just as much. You know, like one of the, the most fun pieces for me, is, like of, uh, the, one of my favorite things in my life is that when someone first meets me, they make a very obvious judgment based on my physique. You know, like, okay, good looking guy. Jack, obviously a f-ing idiot. He's a meathead, whatever. <laughs> and then that, there's that moment within five minutes of conversation where they're just like, oh, maybe there's something more. And then 10 minutes in, they're just like, oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> and just like where, where, you know, you see their assessment of you change. Yeah. And so you do get judged based on how you look. And, you know, the, the problems that came with being very good looking were hard for me to deal with in my, in my early twenties. Um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> It's easy to say that you're the greatest goalie in the world if no one has ever taken a shot, you know, yeah. uh, because it's then then your record is is 100 percent. You've blocked every shot that's ever been taken. And when you're unattractive and you have a girlfriend, it is much easier to like just have a girlfriend. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, because, you know, you're not getting a lot of offers. You know, George Carlin says that, like, a man is only as loyal as his options. And I think <laughs> I that in my that. early 20s, that was very true. You know, I, I had a girlfriend at certain points and, you know, I was just getting – I would go out with my friends and I was getting approached by women all the time. And then, like, you know, so there, were, there were times when, like, my girlfriend's friends would be very aggressive and, and you know, like, expressing interest. And um, – so I, you know, I managed not to cheat on a lot of girlfriends. I cheated on two, and I feel terrible about it. Not, not, I'm not perfect. Yeah. But the thing that like really complicated my life was the knowledge of those options and being home with you know my girlfriend who was great. And all I would be thinking like, damn, if I wasn't, if we weren't together, I could be like banging all these girls <laughs> or whatever. And for whatever reason, at 23 years old, when you're a 23 year old guy, and the women listening to this are not going to get it. They they just don't understand what it's like to have a penis. But when you're 23 years old, when you're 18 to 23, literally all you can think about is sex. It's just always in the back of your head. It's like always the wheels are turning, just sex, sex, sex. And so the the complications that arose in my relationships um, from being perceived in a, in a new way were hard for me to deal with. And then again, that was a situation where I needed to learn balance and appreciate being good looking enough to be able to find a beautiful woman and have a girlfriend and then like – have have enough control to like not let that be the only thing I was focused on firstly but secondly to like appreciate it when I had it and not always be looking around and that was uh that was the journey that I was on it took it took a long time and um you know it's only in the past year that I'm that I really feel that I've got a good handle on it and now I'm able to be very successful in my relationship to the extent that I'm I'm getting married and I feel confident in my ability to be married, which I, I never have before. Yeah. And that's, it, it was this really important journey. I really can't stress enough. If you notice right here on the bottom of the book, it says have more sex. I believe that sex is, is one of the most important aspects of life. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but your, um, your sex drive and your ambition literally come from the same place in the brain, in the brainstem. Mm-hmm. And when, when your sex drive begins to decline, so too does your ambition. And, and so in a very real way, any great thing that has ever been done is because of sex. It's the reason we build monuments and great walls. It's the reason wars are fought. In some way, this is either directly or indirectly related to sex. And so for the women out there, I apologize if I offended you by saying that for a period of my life, I was really interested in sleeping with a lot of women. Um, but I, I do, I do think that that was a struggle that I went through, and, you, and so that's it, if it's if it's relevant, we'll keep it in the interview. If you feel it's not, <laughs> you can cut it out. Uh, no, but it's... for me, um, it, it was it was a very real thing. The problems of success, like it's hard, you know. Like it's it's it, it was it was very difficult to, for me to like have your whole life being you know not approached, and then the deluge that comes with the new body. It was difficult. Yeah, no, Raman, I I think that this is really valuable because it is so honest. And a lot of people don't really talk about this, especially the problems that come when you do have a lot of success. Because like you said, it's fairly simple. Most people switch to, you know, an anti-inflammatory diet or a paleo diet or something that's lower in carbs or just like kind of stacked up correctly so that you can lose a lot of fat, usually fairly quickly. And then it happens and there's so much head trash that comes around that. I was on a, uh, just for Paleo FX, I was on a panel of the journey of transformation with, with my friends, George Bryant and Stacy Toth and oh, yeah. Jimmy Moore, a few other people. And, uh, Stacy was talking about 
what it was like to go from being very overweight and being pretty much ignored by everyone in society for you know her whole life and the way that she was was treated was just kind of either she was ignored or or not treated that well most of the time then she talks about losing all of that weight and now all of a sudden people are interested in her and talking to her all the time and she's like her response to that was like the world is so mean and cold yeah like that's it because when that happens for the first time you're just like where is this coming from is is the world really this superficial yeah Yeah. i mean (laughs) the answer is yes it is i mean you know and 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 part of that is like more in our culture and certainly part of that is more prevalent during your youth, I mean, you know, like it, it, as you as you get, I'm, today's my birthday. I just turned 31. I don't think that these things are as big. Are, are the the types of problems that they were when I was 23? Yeah. That's just like you know, you just you're just in different situations and everything. Like when you go to a conference, it's not people are not you know, like looking at you for the same reasons. They're not they're not judging you by the same criteria because they don't want the same thing from you. Yeah. You know, like when you are at a conference, they're like more interested in your business and your success and everything. So yeah. you just, you're in different situations. Right. So, so your friend, how did she, um, how does she feel now? Like, I mean, she's, you know, getting approached, a lot of guys going after her. I mean, like, how does, like, how does she handle it? What was the the thing for her that like helped her get her head right? Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I can speak on behalf of her with any sort of license, but I think generally it's, it's rough for everyone. It's, like you said, there are those options that are there that that weren't there before, and you never right. really learn how to how to manage them or how to even even learning how to say no to someone can be extraordinarily difficult if you've never really yeah. had to say no before. Like shooting yeah. someone down is is almost as hard as approaching in yes. a way, right? Like, and so yeah, you have to start to deal with that, and and that comes with all sorts of negative emotions because if someone's really interested in you, you say no, then all of a sudden they hate you. And so, right. so like more people hate you. You're like, what do I, what do I do now? Should I have said yes? And like made yeah. that ethically, morally squishy type, yeah. type decision. Would that have been better? It's so like, it, it comes with a lot of that. And then if you are in a relationship, I know that, um, this is really common in the, in the paleo, paleo community. If one person goes for it full bore, you know, loses 40 pounds, changes their lives, feels better, has so much energy and just changes their, their life completely. The other person doesn't. That can be a huge stressor on the relationship, and it breaks up a lot of a lot of marriages, a lot of boyfriends or girlfriends oh, yeah. just don't work out. Uh, so, what what sort of advice? That's would really you give funny. Like the, the number one leading course of uh, cause of divorce is like, you know, <laughs> is money, and then like number five is like paleo. Yeah, <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> but how do you how do you manage that now? I mean, you know, I'm I I just. There's really no way I can say this without just sounding like like just like a mushy guy who's really in love with his fiance. So like <laughs> I'm going to go preface this by saying that like I wasn't always this big like, like just just to give you an example like before I met my fiance, I, I you know I was just like less emotionally open than I am. Yeah. I don't think I cried for six years. I, wow. I think that there might have been one or two points where I was really upset and like or was almost on the verge, but like. Since I met my fiance, like it's been—I mean, the past eight months alone, like that we've been really together. I mean, I, I would say I cry once a month, mm-hmm. and like not not about anything bad, just about like the sheer beauty of the world. Like yeah. I'm just more open to things. So the way that I mean, <clears throat> I just met the right girl, and and there's like I wish that I had better advice, um, <laughs> other than eventually you'll meet the. I mean, I don't if 
there's no way I can explain it. Like I uh, just to put this in context. Um, I was actually going to propose to my previous girlfriend for no other reason than I was like, it's time to get married. Like she's a great girl, wonderful, wonderful chick. And like, I love her to death and have nothing but like great feelings about her, but it was not, she was not the right one. And we both knew that. And it was not the right fit. And everyone around us knew that. And my friends were like, no, you cannot. No, do not. (laughs) And I just did not. So I was, I was, 29 years old and I've been in a lot of relationships and been with a lot of women um, and known a lot of women and I had not felt 100% connected to any of them Hmm. and so after 12 years of dating if you've never felt 100% connected to anybody because you know I just the only ever time I felt 100% present was when I was with my boys like just like you know like the five guys I grew up with, like that's, you know, like entourage style, like that's <laughs> when my life feels the best. Right. And I was like, well, if I've never had that with a woman that, I, that I'm dating, maybe I'm not capable of feeling it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I believed with my whole heart that I was, that I couldn't feel that, that the best I could ever have was being like 80%, Yeah. which is where I was with this girl. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I'll just propose, maybe we'll just get married. And, um, because I, I just thought I could never get there. And the way that my friends talked about it, the way that they like, you know, friends who have found great love, who, you know, talk about the experience, like I, I sort of understood, but not really. And then when I met Nagar and experienced it, I was like, okay, now I get it. So the long and short of that is that you, it's like trying to explain the color red to a blind guy. Like, you, what do you say? How do you describe it? It's just like, you, it sounds like when I'm describing red, it sounds like all the other colors. If you've never seen a color, you don't know. Right. And so, you know, when my friends were describing the thing that makes their relationship special, it just sounded like the shitty relationship I was already in. Like, because mm-hmm. they're ultimately similar, yeah. you know? Like, if you had to describe someone who'd never seen a car, the difference between, you know, a Ferrari and... Uh, I don't know, a a Hyundai, you know, how do you do that? Like they have the same parts. They're all fundamentally similar. Um, but then you drive a Ferrari and you're just like, okay, I, now now, (laughs) Now I get it. (laughs) Now I get it. And so that's the only, so I don't have any advice for anyone. If you're a guy in your, your twenties or early thirties and you're like trying to figure out like how to make sense. I, I don't know. I don't know a lot about women. I mean, I know, I know how to make them happy, hopefully. And I know how to have sex with them and I know how to, how to like, that's it. Like, I, I mean, I, I am, they're mystical creatures and I am very, very lucky that I found the type of woman that I did because like my relationship, we're like, I mean, she's my best friend and like, I would just, the only time now, like I, you know, like I still, when I'm still with my boys, like I feel connected, but like, I'm still, you know, we're, we're just in a different phase of our lives now. We're all 30. We're all like married, engaged or, or dating seriously. And everyone's like checking their phones, text their fiancés. And so like now the, you know, I, I just, when I'm with her, just, you know, when we're, you know, just like the two of us or us and our dogs and, and my stepson now, yeah. um, that's it. That's for me. That's the moment where I'm like, my life can't get better than this. Wow. And the only way that I got there was getting there. And so I don't have... I wish I did. I really wish I could tell you what the steps were. But the only thing that I can tell you is that I believe that my experiences going through a bunch of 
bad and mediocre relationships Mm -hmm. made me appreciate what I have and helped get me ready. I do believe that every girl I dated and everything I did, every step I took was in some way preparing me to be here. You know, and, and not in like a like a mystical way, like it was preordained, but simply in the way that like experiential growth is is a very real thing. It's an iterative process, and, right. and it, it is about the journey. <laughs> right, precisely. It really is. So, can we talk about also? This is something that isn't really talked about that much, but I know a lot of people who especially have gotten to that point of being shredded experience this. They do a competition or a photo shoot or or whatever. Uh, a friend of mine who shall remain nameless at this point, he he got down to I think I think it was like four percent body fat, something like that. Maybe it was even a little bit lower. And yeah. he had his shoot run went really well. Um, and then that weekend he put on thirty pounds. Wow! <laughs> he just That's had hard. an all out binge yeah. fest. So how do you go from being at the the absolute most shredded you've ever been in your life or or like anyone out there has been in their their lives right like um to being just normal or in pretty good shape like it'll always be worse how do you deal with that? I mean, it's hard it's really hard like i have this conversation with with uh, nagar all the time my fiance is also in the fitness industry she's like got a ridiculous body super shredded and like but sometimes she's not as shredded you know like and sometimes i'm not as shredded i'm like i'm usually very lean and but like what we talk about all the time is like the ridiculous effed up mentality that you create for yourself mm-hmm. because once you've been truly lean like shredded shredded everything else feels fat yeah you know and so you have to like spend time like coming to terms with being fat which for me now means like 12% body fat right which is ridiculous yeah, it's a it's ridiculous crazy. concept <laughs> Knowing what I know, that I would be twelve percent body fat and be like, "Oh my god, I'm so fat." Yeah, like I can totally like, relate to that. I can. You can, because like, and so, so the way that you have to navigate it is like, I found that making a real assessment, writing down the things that I need to do to stay that lean, mm-hmm. and then crossing off the ones that I felt would really complicate my life. Because the goal for me is to find balance. Like this is living an awesome life, and this is being super shredded. And once, like, I need to apply so much to being shredded Mm -hmm. that my life is no longer as awesome, like, I need to dial it back. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'll do this for six weeks, but I don't want to live like this anymore. So just, like, writing those things down and making a – just a really, like, cohesive uh, argument with myself that, you know – Every decision in life, uh, if I'm if I may quote a movie that you'll probably know, uh, it, it comes down to deciding if the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. And if if it is, then do it. And if it's not, then you just have to be okay with it not being. And so then the the thing that you need to come to terms with is not being shredded. It's the fact that your life has changed in a way that you don't need to be shredded as much. You know, mm-hmm. like when again when I was like 23 that. and single. I was like shredded to the bone every summer because like somehow in my head that made my life better, you know, because I was like, you're more likely to get more numbers or have more sex or whatever it is. Whereas now, like I'm, I'm good with 9%. 9% is fine. Like I'm lean enough that I'm always lean, but like I don't have to kill myself to do it. I can still have a glass of wine and I can still go to dinner. So like finding that balance, the only way to do it is to test but I really think that writing things out is is very effective, or at least it was for me. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think a lot of people could get some some use out of that. 
because it is such a weird process when you go from so back and forth, back and forth. Um, all right, let's let's talk about your book. I want to make sure that we yeah, have oh, to show. talk about that. So um, I was reading on, I, I think it was Amazon, Tucker Max, who I had the pleasure of hanging out with over South by Southwest, which is always an experience, wrote, most fitness books suck. This one does not. <laughs> Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I think that um, Tucker has a great point. Most fitness books I don't necessarily want to say they suck, but I really think that they're not putting out um, a lot of of new information. You know, a lot of people are just rehashing, and yeah. even when there is new information, it's presented in a formulaic way that we've all seen before. I mean, you know, since 1998, everyone has been trying to write the new Body for Life mm -hmm. because that's the most successful fitness book of all time. Like, you know, like potentially. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Arnold's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding is as successful, and and there's you know a few that Men's Health have released, but that's the one. That's the one people think of. Like yeah. if if my book had the type of success that Body for Life had, I would be over the moon. I mean that because that's just like bestseller for like years. You know, maybe it hit number one at some point. I don't know, but I do know that it changed a lot of lives, and that's really what you want. Yeah. And so everyone has been trying to recreate Body for Life, which was a good book, but an imitation of a good book is a bad book. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Tucker's point is that most fitness books do one of a few things wrong. They either they, they, they're either just like magazine articles that go on for 200 pages, yeah, or uh, so or they're just not well written, which is like really common. Most fitness people are just not writers, and yeah. so they're you know, and it's weird because like you didn't have to be like if you were a trainer 10 years ago, you didn't have to be a writer. Now everyone wants to be on the internet so you yeah, have to true. learn how to write and mm -hmm. like nobody pays a lot of attention to that. And obviously you have an editor who will help you but if you're not a skilled writer, your message is still going to be presented you know, shoddily and haphazardly. Yeah. So, uh, so either they're you know, just like revamping or, or not good writing or they just have like stupid information that like nobody <laughs> with any – like knowledge would agree with but you know some celebrity wrote it or they have some like yeah. marketing and it's like every fitness book is the same it's always like oh look at me i'm a jacked guy with my shirt off on the cover of a book leaning against a barbell or, or doing a dumbbell <laughs> i'm like i know what that book's about before i pick it up because it's it's ultimately it's just about fitness and yeah. even if the plan is good it's not worth my time i could just skip to the back read the workouts look at the pictures mm -hmm. like there's not you're not gonna like tell me things whereas what we do in this book, which I will show again, <laughs> Man 2.0, Engineering the Alpha, A Real World Guide to an Unreal Life. Um, there's a foreword by Arnold Schwarzenegger, by the way. Pretty awesome. Yeah. So I, what we did with this book is firstly, uh, I will say that the writing is exceptional. Like I am, I am a very good writer and my co-author Adam is, uh, is an even better one. Um, and he's an editor, so he, he makes me better. Yeah, uh, certainly. So, but the narrative structure, which comes from Joseph Campbell, is really powerful. So this book is different from other fitness books in the sense that, like the the training and nutrition information is is a is a cog in the wheel of this machine. It is not the machine itself. Yeah. And and I think that people would relate to that. And. Um, I think that's what Tucker meant. Yeah. You know? And one of the things you, you do within the book is, is try to redefine masculinity, as I yes. understand. So yeah. How does that work? So I understand that the term alpha has 
certain connotations, right? I mean, they come from, you know, either movies or people's general perception or, or the pickup artist community. And everyone wants to be the alpha male, which is, it's just the most dominant person in a group. And I think that's a really dangerous concept because when you are the alpha male of a group, all it means is that your entire perception of self and the way you are defining that value is comparatively. It's relative yeah. to other people. That's right. And so what we try and teach is to be the alpha version of you. Like, you know, I would not want you to be an alpha male. I'd want you to be the alpha able and I would want to be the alpha Roman. Yeah. And so the, the nice crazy thing, thing is that like – all of this, this alpha male stuff that's out there, like uh, I actually read a really great uh, blog post on um, David Wygant's site, which was like, you know, the myth of the alpha male that everyone should want to be an alpha. I mean, like the point he made is like, imagine a traffic jam where everyone behind the wheel was an alpha <laughs> and like there's one guy in front, like everyone's like beeping and going crazy. Like you don't want being an alpha doesn't mean like being aggressive or being right. an Yeah. Um, we have what we call the alpha rules and there are 16 of them. Um, but we also have the alpha traits, seven things that like make an, our version of the alpha male different from other versions. Okay. And, you know, one of them is like confident, but not cocky. A true confidence comes from an honest assess uh, uh, assessment of what you can and can't do. I know my skills. I know my weaknesses. Yeah. I don't. Like I, I'm obviously always trying to improve upon my weaknesses and shore these things up, but I, my goal is never to like be the best at everything. It's just to be the best me. Yeah. And when I can't do something, and when there are people that are better at it, like I, I'm not one of those guys in the fitness industry who's like only listen to me. Everyone else is stupid. I'm not an expert on kettlebells. Here's a kettlebell expert. I'm not an expert on bodyweight training. Here's a, you know like okay here's a paleo guy. Like I'm I. And I guess essentially paleo most of the time, but, um, but yeah, so like I push other experts forward and that's like what we want people to do. Like show love, like just always show love is like a big thing. So, you know, confident, but not cocky, um, you know, like helpful, but not domineering is a big one. You know, there's a lot of times where like people, particularly alphas, particularly who are like in a position of power at an office, mm -hmm. they're just like, Oh, if you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself. Like, you know, someone tries to do something, they're not doing it right. So you take it away from them and then you do it, which means they don't learn anything. Yeah. You're frustrated with them. They're frustrated with you. And so, you know, my, when I was a manager at a, at a gym, I would never just be like, I'm gonna, you know, if someone did something wrong and my goal was not to take it away from them and do it myself, mm -hmm. I, I was always interested in teaching them and, and showing them that I'm there for them and giving them enough help to help them, you know, achieve whatever they're trying to do. But I'm not just going to like take over every project. And a lot of people, a lot of alphas, type A personalities, they're like micromanagers. You know, yeah. you just need to like step back and like, you know, just like let people do their thing and, and help where you can. Um, so we've, we've got, yeah, we've got these seven traits that I think are, are really good. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it's helpful. So our version of the alpha male is different because it's concerned not with drawing value comparatively, mm -hmm. but with building value intrinsically and trying to be a better person and yeah. you know just like whereas every other book talking about alphas is those guys are essentially assholes mm -hmm. we're not you know yeah. okay so so we're good looking so we're confident you know and yeah whatever else we make money you know like that's what an alpha is right but you know i'm not a dick about it yeah. <laughs> and like i just like i'm just i'm here to help like the number one goal in my life is to help people like all i want to do is 
to help people realize the things that I've realized and get better and get better at getting better because that'll make your life even more amazing. That's awesome. And and that's what that's why we subtitled the book and a, a real world guide to an unreal life because yeah. the lessons that you'll learn in here can help you help other people and like just live this life that you never like cause I, if you had told me 10 years ago that I would get a million dollar book deal and be like I, reading I have Tucker Max reading my book not just reading it <laughs> yeah. but I, Tucker read my book or, or, or that I would like have Arnold Schwarzenegger write the foreword to my book like my, I, my life is an absolute fantasy yeah and it, that's replicable you know I'm, I'm at the top of my industry I'm you know making great money providing myself a living doing something that I love I've got mm-hmm. a book coming out I've got an amazing network around me of like high level people who are always encouraging me to get better I'm marrying the most beautiful woman in the world and I my dogs are super cute and so like there's no <laughs> be- there's there's things I struggle with but like if you had told me when I was 20 years old before I went through that body transformation. Mm-hmm. If you had told me that I would be living this life, which is, I promise you, unreal, I would not have believed you. And so this book is about how to get there and yeah. giving you the tools to do them. That is so cool. Well, we're just about out of time, but where can folks find you, Roman, and where can they find your book? I'm all over the internet, guys. I'm just, just <laughs> searching. No, um, but uh, if you're interested in the book, I would say the best place is to just go to the website. It's engineeringthealpha.com where you can actually download a free chapter and learn all sorts of good stuff. And then if you're interested, of course, in my site, it's romanfitnesssystems.com. But best way to reach me is always on Facebook. So facebook.com slash romanfitnesssystems. Awesome. Roman, thank you so much for taking the time and happy birthday, man. Dude, thank you very much. I had a great time. Thank you. Take all care, right, guys. Take some time off. thank you so much for listening to the fat burning man show if you'd like free fat burning tips muscle building goodies as well as a free ebook and video course head on over to fatburningman.com and enter your best email and i'll shoot those right over to you if you'd like to follow me on facebook i'm at facebook.com forward slash fat burning man and on twitter my handle is Fatburn Man. Got some killer shows on the way, but in the meantime, be well, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Mm-hmm.